HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So it is the last episode of the year. We are saying goodbye to 2020, and we're going to hunker down until the new year here at Heritage Radio after this week and maybe reflect on this tumultuous year. Um, so this time of the year, you're bound to see a lot of best of 2020 lists floating around. So like best books of 2020 or favorite cookbooks of 2020. The author that I'm speaking with on today's show has made it to a lot of those lists lately. And uh, I don't think I've mentioned it here yet, but I also published a cookbook too this year called Cheat Pan Chicken. And uh, we had a fun, <laughs> there was a fun article in uh, New York Magazine's The Strategist that asked different cookbook authors to recommend their favorite cookbook. And I recommended this cookbook and then she in turn was on it and it was like a whole daisy chain so it was a lot of fun but um i am just so excited because if i were to weigh in with what my favorite food books of the year were you basically are looking at it in this show so every single food book and author that i've spoken with on eat your words in 2020 has written one of my favorite food books. Uh, so we kicked off the year with Dara Goldstein's Beyond the North Wind, a beautiful cookbook about Russian food and lore. Uh, along the way, you know, over the summer when the pandemic hit, or in the spring when the pandemic hit and we were staying at home uh, and recording from home, which we are still now, um, I interviewed a lot of cookbook authors or sorry, not cookbook authors, but erudite experts like Dr. Marsha Chatlin, whose book Franchise explored the fraught relationship with Black American fast food, and folks like Tom Philpot, whose book Perilous Bounty explored our fought fra- farming system in America. So a lot of food books to share on this uh, on at Heritage Radio Network and from other shows on Heritage Radio Network. So while you're making your wish list or while you're buying presents for everybody, I hope you check out all the books that we've explored because they're really, really such gems. And I'm so excited to cap it off with a really, really great book. 
It's called Coconut and Sambal, Recipes from My Indonesian Kitchen. And its author, Laura Lee, is on the line with us now. Hi, Laura. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for listening to that long sort of plug for every single book on the show <laughs> and uh, winding up with yours, my um, Coconut and Sambal. It's such a gorgeous book. And I have to say that it it both... I love how this book, it fills this hole in my shelf where um, Southeast Asian cookbooks sort of jump to Indian cookbooks, <laughs> crossing over Indonesia. <laughs> and um, But it does so, so well. Like you do a really beautiful job on of taking on this uh, great task, both through your writing and great photography. And I just have to imagine it must have been really intimidating to wrap your head around, you know, Indonesian cookbook. Was it like that for you? Yes, definitely. I I really wanted to write this cookbook and uh, I was going to write it whether someone was going to publish me or not. It was a very personal mission to really, uh, to really what I wanted to, to do and what I wanted to see in food media was Indonesia have its moment. And I think there's been a, a, a list of incredible uh, ambassadors of Indonesian cuisine over the last, you know, four or five decades, um, mm -hmm. you know, slowly bringing it into the, the food world and, you know, globalizing it, but it still hadn't had its time yet. And for me, um, because I'm half Indonesian, I, I really wanted to celebrate the the dishes that I grew up with. But, um, you know, it, 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 felt, it did feel like, a, I guess, a large leap to think that a publisher would want to publish it because I guess Indonesian food in certain regions, regions like the UK or um, a lot of areas of the US, there's not a large Indonesian population. It's not a food that's very well known. So was there a market for people to want to to cook and consume this food? But luckily, a publisher believed in the idea and uh, and went with it. And I think, you know, what COVID has done is, you know, created these um, kitchen travelers, people who want to travel through their cookbooks, you know, people who want to travel and taste different flavors and visit the holiday destinations they didn't get to go to through food. So I, I think, you know, that that's been a wonderful part of part of writing the cookbook and seeing it and seeing it, um, how well it's done today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned you have an interesting uh, background. You um, are based in London now, but you grew up in Australia and you're half Australian and you describe yourself as half Indonesian or Chinese Indonesian. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. My dad is okay. uh, Chinese Indonesian. Uh, he came from Timor originally, which is one of 17 and a half thousand islands of Indonesia. And so he mm -hmm. uh, immigrated to Sydney, Australia when he was 22 or 21, I think, to go on a great adventure. He kind of went from being this kid riding a motorbike, you know, on a dusty track, you know, buying durian from the street side sellers to kind of going to Sydney, where his English was okay, but, you know, definitely, you know, um, had quite a thick accent and a strong, uh, you know, um, I guess, uh, not, a, not a great sense of what Australian life would be. And so he really, you know, for him, it was, a, I guess, what a journey to have 
to have come, you know, to have t- come to a country with kind of nothing and to have built up this wonderful life. And so he, he met my mother um, in the 1970s. They mm-hmm. fell in love and were married six months later. And uh, and I guess the rest is history. But mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so in terms of my childhood, I grew up in Sydney. My dad's mother came to live with us when we were little. And uh, my access to Indonesian culture was through Indonesian food because when we were little we were too poor to visit Indonesia to travel there as a family so the only notion I had had of Indonesia really was through the stories that my grandmother and my father would tell me and um, and through the food that my grandmother would put on the table so I've kind of carried all of those wonderful food memories with me into adulthood and I guess that's really what you see in the book uh, that you see today. Mm. It's it's lovely. I love how you go to such lengths to describe the some of the major hallmarks and tenets of Indonesian cuisine. Like, for instance, the title itself, um, coconut and sambal. These are two important uh, elements of of Indonesian cuisine, right? Yes, definitely. And I think what I when I was researching the cookbook, it was a real struggle to think of what the title would be because Indonesia, as I mentioned before, has thousands and thousands of islands oh, and right. each like area is very regional with distinct mm-hmm. flavor characteristics. Um, you know, th- there's different uh, climates, so there's volcanic soil, there's beautiful beaches, there's swampland, there's, there's really everything. And so in terms of trying to define Indonesia by a particular dish or uh, – and, and there are some national dishes, certainly, but it is very much a regional cuisine and everywhere you travel it might be spicy or sour or a sweet area or a very fresh area or, you know, um, an area that loves its seafood and so on. So what I did, I kind of, you know, sat at the Indonesian – Asian table and I was looking at it thinking okay well, you know what what unifies this cuisine and what I realized very quickly was that no matter where I traveled there was always sambal on the table so sambal is a hot chili condiment that Indonesians eat with every bite of food so you know it exists to complement a meal as opposed to overpower it but you know it can be very very spicy or a little bit mild but you know the sambals are very regional you know, wherever mm. you travel, they'll have their own distinct regional sambal, but um, there will always be sambal on the table. Mm-hmm. That like salt and pepper, right? Exactly. Or like yeah. mustard or ketchup. So you'll just find it on the table and it's kind of used, they use it to kind of season the food, enhance the flavors. It's just wonderful. And the other element is the coconut because the coconut palm grows all over Indonesia and uh, Indonesians have a no waste philosophy. So every part of the coconut is used from, you know, the coconut water is drunk uh, as a drink, uh, coconut um, milk is made <laughs> by exactly grating the coconut flesh and then, you know, mashing it with water to create coconut milk. You've got the coconut flesh in desserts. You've got um, the coconut shell is used as utensils. The coconut husk is used to fragrant smoke as it's like oh, firing yeah. satay. Uh-huh. I mean, everything is used and even the discarded Grated coconut is used to scrub stains off tiles and floors and cement. Oh and it's just incredible. So, I mean, those were these two elements and mm-hmm. rice, of course. Rice is always right. on every okay. table. So mm-hmm. those were the elements that I really found on every table. So it just it. completely made sense to me to call the book Coconut and Sambal and, and two such important elements of the cuisine. Mm. I, I think there it's a really great title. It's very evocative. It makes me hungry. <laughs> and I have to ask Laura, uh, Laura, is the um, the green cap sambal olek 
Uh, like I've, I've just always had that in my fridge. Is that yeah. acceptable in your opinion or should I make my own sambal? Oh, look, I, you know, I have a couple of sneaky jars of emergency sambal left <laughs> okay. in my cupboard too. So, hey, don't, don't worry. But, you know, for me, that look, the sambal ulek is essentially, it's the most basic of sambal. So if okay. you made it yourself, it would be boiling some chilies in water and then mm. uh, grinding it in a chobekit ulekan, which is like a um, kind of like a stone mortar and pestle in Indonesia. And then you would just season it with a little vinegar and a little bit of salt with some oil. So it's a really basic kind of sambal and it's eaten all over Indonesia. So the ones that you can buy in the jar certainly has that essence of that very simple um, you know, kind of no, uh, it's got, got no tricks or bells or whistles kind of sample. It's like, it's, it's mm-hmm. salt, it's chili, okay. it's vinegar. But I think what I love about homemade sambal is that there is a lot more complexity to sambal yeah. and you have, you know, there it's are some fresh. that are exactly. Mm. And there are yeah. some that are flavored with the tamarind, others flavored with kaffir lime leaf. There's others that are mm. flavored with, um, you know, obviously shallots or ginger or galangal and so many different types of uh, flavor profiles. So I think um, it's definitely fine to use the store-bought, but I think once you make your own, you can Mm. make them and batch cook them, which is what I Mm. do. And then I pop them in jars and keep them in the freezer and they last for months in the freezer. Okay. couple of weeks in the fridge so I can that's do that. how I do it yes yes right. that's, that's my suggestion. And, it, and it really only takes honestly like 15-20 minutes to make your own sambal you just right, need to right. buy a lot of chilies and I think yeah. a, food, a food processor comes in handy so I use a food processor okay. as opposed to um grinding it myself <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh my goodness okay I've sold <laughs> I love how um I'm learning a lot through this book about like techniques and one element I guess of of cooking or good cooking sense that you describe so beautifully is this um, notion of wangi or wangi is it aroma oh, wangi. Wangi. Yes. wangi yes so wangi is this uh word that really ref- represents it means like p- the perfume of something so if something mm-hmm. is wangi you, you smell the fragrance or the perfume of a dish or even of a woman or you know the wangi <laughs> is, a, is a perfume kind of fragrance oh. Yeah, so okay. um, in the cooking process, when you're cooking a spice paste or getting a dish to the point where you know that it's, let's say, ready for the next stage, so perhaps you need to add coconut milk, but you need to cook off that spice paste first to make oh. sure that it's cooked through, the rawness is, is kind of gone. You, you want to have this moment of the most powerful moment of that fragrance of wangi. And so when I was learning from home cooks uh, across Indonesia, we would have this moment where we would bow our heads to the wok or to the the pan or whatever kind of tools we were using and just constantly just smell that fragrance. And I mean, this is something that people do universally, of course, but the, 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 the word that they used to describe that moment is, ah, wangi, you know, it's mm. wangi. So it's just, you know, your mouth is salivating because the <laughs> Every single flavor of that spice paste is just jumping out of the pan and leaping, you know, and into the air. It's just wonderful. <laughs> I love that. I love how you describe that. And it sounds like, um, so, so when the hot oil is sort of cooking those spices, would you would you call that like tempering the spices or? 
I don't know, blooming them. I've heard that word. Yes, I love that word blooming. blooming. That's a okay. great word to use. I love <laughs> I that. Yeah. So, so what I what I find when I cook the spice paste is that you kind of pop the, uh, you get the oil nice and hot, or like kind of like a medium medium high heat actually, because you don't want to burn it. But um, mm-hmm. then you add the spice paste, and then as it cooks and as the liquid is evaporating from the sambal or the spice paste or whatever it is you're cooking, you'll find that the oil splits again from the ingredients, and that's mm. also a really good indication along with the wangi the fragrance yeah it kind of splits out of the the spice paste so you kind of see the oil kind of oozing out of the spice paste and kind of running around and doing its own thing yeah I know what you Um, mean okay yeah so it's kind of it's no longer this kind of unified kind of like everything's just in the in the walk it's the 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 oils just starts to seep out at the edges or rise to the top a little bit and then that's another good indication that your spice paste has been cooking enough and you know it usually only takes about 15 minutes to get that Hmm. spice paste cooked off that's um that's my that's my trick but I think everyone probably has their own way so and that's the trick I learned from my um a lot of the home cooks in Indonesia as well right right Mm. oh I love I love all the research you've done and how well you've explained it because I feel like I've I'm benefiting oh I'm doing that ritual travel thing you're talking about early (laughs) but uh yeah in a sort of uh, educational way um let's talk about some of the hits, I guess, of Indonesian cuisine, although it is a very varied and regional cuisine. Um, what what would you say are like the the kind of best known um, favorites? Sure, sure. So there there are five national dishes of Indonesia. Five. Wow. The, um, yeah. I think the Ministry of uh, Food and Tourism kind of named them as the national dishes. Mm-hmm. And so one of them is nasi goreng, which is yes. uh, okay. an Indonesian fried rice. And really what sets it apart from um, other fried rice that people might be familiar with is it is like a punch in the face of flavor is the best way I could describe it. It is like, like I think it's, it's not a side, it's a main meal nasi goreng. And it's often made with a really lovely spice paste. So, you know, it could be as simple as just, you know, garlic, shallots and ginger, let's say. And then it's seasoned with a mix of um, some lovely Indonesian seasonings. So ketchup manis might be one of them with a fermented Mm -hmm. sweet soy sauce. Some maybe some soy sauce or shrimp paste, and it just becomes this wonderful umami laden dish, and usually with a frilly fried egg on top. So that's mm-hmm. one of the what, that's one of the main dishes. Then you've got satay, which can be you know there's hundreds of variations of satay. You've got chicken satay, prawn satay, uh, you've got tofu satay. You know so many different types, lots of vegetable satays. Um, you've also got soto, again lots of different varieties, which is a soup basically. Mm-hmm. And you can have it with beef or chicken or um, you know lots of different varieties as well. Um, rendang is mm. uh, a gorgeous caramelized uh, beef curry, um, which uh, basically it's from West Sumatra, but it is um, made with uh, you know cuts of beef that need to be cooked. You know. Uh, uh, stewing beef, I guess you would say, in a broth of coconut milk and a spice paste. And it's cooked for, you know, a minimum of three hours um, simmering in a giant wok. And then until it's uh, all of the sauce has basically evaporated and uh, reduced to kind of sediment. And it is just 
one of the most wonderful dishes uh you know you could you could ever really eat um and then the oh did i did i the say perfect five? four but anyway that's, cooking yeah it's, it's that's okay. delicious um oh and the other one is gado gado sorry for oh one, yes which is a Naughty. yes peanut mm. sauce on a cooked vegetable salad mm-hmm. so yeah so delicious mm. so those are like the five that are very well known but then there are so many dishes um, there's so many so many, which are, you know, many of which I've put into my book um, that, you know, people have never really heard of and, you know, particular islands that they've never visited or heard of in Indonesia, um, you know, like Timor, where my dad is from, or Sulawesi, which is such a wonderful culinary destination, um, which is, you know, a gorgeous food from this. And, and obviously there's Bali, which everyone knows, or Jakarta, which is the capital. Um, but, you know, there, there is so much more to Indonesia than, uh, I guess, you know, what people right. might be familiar with. Mm. Well, let's talk a lot more about that right after a quick little commercial break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Cheeselandia is a community for loud and proud cheese lovers brought to life by Wisconsin Cheese. I know that I can always cook amazing food with their cheese, and it's even good enough just to snack on. As a Cheeselandia member, I know there is always a supportive community behind me who always gets as excited as I do about cheese. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Check us out on Instagram at Cheeselandia. All right, we're chatting more with Laura Lee. She is the author of Coconut and Sambal, uh, one of the best cookbooks of the year, according to everyone, including me. Um, so, <laughs> <That's> so lovely. <laughs> I, seriously, I mean, I'm I'm like just salivating over every single image, every single description. You mentioned your father's from Timor. There's a Timorese fish soup that just looks so fresh and. Um, uh, springy but um you know very refreshing with this hake or cod into big mm-hmm. chunks and um yeah thai basil uh just so beautiful and there's such a range of of dishes in here um i want to ask you how did you research all of this <laughs> Yes, and and also I live in London where Mm -hmm. there's a very small community of Indonesians that live here as well. So I guess my journey really started um, in London and uh, I I knew that I wanted to write this cookbook and so I entered a competition to – it was a cookbook writing competition actually, cookbook proposal. So I entered a competition and I uh, that was like the first draft of Coconut Ensemble that kind of um, was put out there. And I, and I came runner up in that competition. So nice. I had a bit of encouragement to, mm-hmm. I felt encouraged to continue the idea that I was onto something. So, um, but I was a little bit sad I didn't win. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my, my husband- You're determined. Um, <laughs> I was determined, yeah. So my husband said, why don't you reach out to Shri Owen, who is, uh, she's based in London. She is, by the way, the doyen of Indonesian cookery. She's okay. the grandmother of Indonesian food. She introduced um, Indonesian food to the world, uh, I think in the 1980s. And she did for Indonesian food what Julia Childs kind of did for French cuisine. You know, okay. she, she wrote the first English-speaking cookbook, uh, you know, about Indonesian food. And, and she lives in London, not too far away from me. So I emailed her and uh, she's, uh, well, she's 85 now, but when I emailed her, I think she was 81 or 82. 
And she wrote back straight away, very oh, wow. heavy. And she said, come to my house on Saturday. And, um, and so uh, I, I, I rang her doorbell a few days later. And, she, you know, she's four foot ten. She's tiny, teeny tiny. And she uh-huh. just said, put an, she put an apron over my head, told me to wash her hands, and then announced that we were cooking an Indonesian banquet for about 12 guests that were coming for lunch. And so she kind of set the um, set me on my voyage for training on, on kind of um, learning Indonesian food under her tuition because That's I, I so was cool. it was incredible because yeah I, I grew up in Australia there's a large Indonesian community there I have aunties and my grandmother lived with us and so um, I was exposed to a lot of Indonesian food but you know my grandmother passed away 20 years ago so I didn't really have her as a, as a reference point right. to be able to recreate her recipes or to have someone close to me that I could just kind of speak to all the time about Indonesian food. So I met Sri weekly and uh, mm-hmm. she, she kind of passed all of her knowledge down to me in this incredible kind of, you know, over the course of about 12 months. And then um, amazingly, my the cookbook proposal I was working on and working on and uh, I got signed to a publisher, Bloomsbury. And then after that, um, I you know, I, I spent six months uh, traveling across Indonesia, um, meeting with family members and mm-hmm relearning um my grandmother's recipes with my aunties so my grandmother um had written a few a couple of recipe books that were was uh-huh. incredible so we referenced her handwritten recipe books that must have been 50 years old my aunties taught me their recipes and then I also followed my nose across Indonesia from you know the west of Sumatra to the east in Timor and just kind of dotted around all of the different islands and I would meet a random taxi driver and ask him if he knew anyone that was a good home <laughs> or I would go to food markets and say I'm really wanting to learn this particular regional dish you know a, spe- a special dish from a particular place and mm-hmm. the person at the food market would kind of text their cousin who then would meet me the next day and it was just this wonderful process of these mm-hmm warm generous Indonesians really thrilled and excited and so proud to teach um this you know they kept calling me the British chef and even though I'm like (laughs) I'm like half Indonesian but they were like the British chef has come to town you know we must all we must all teach her that, you know, our, our recipes. I mean, it was just so sweet. Um, and it, I think it helped also. My husband is six foot six and um, he's British and he wore a cowboy hat for a lot of the, hit, the, the trip. And every, people just thought that was amazing. So I think they wanted him in their house more than they wanted me, actually. But um, yeah, it was pretty funny. Cool. <laughs> that's, that's really that's, great. That's really how I collected and mm-hmm. curated the book, really. I just kind of followed my nose and, and mm-hmm. I had a, quite a few experts Um that Shri Owen had introduced me to. So some ambassadors of the cuisine and also, you know, acted as a really lovely guide and and mentor. Uh, People like William Wongso, if anyone's heard of that name, um, he's like, he's he's the godfather of Indonesian cuisine and Shri Owen's like the grandmother. So they're they're both kind of like the the top dogs of the cuisine really. But um, but yeah, I I felt very, very lucky in terms Mm. of how generous Indonesians are and, um, and how, you know, how hospitable they are. And I think that's just, it comes with the culture they're just right. the most kind and giving people so yeah they were fabulous happy to help. Mm. well I think we're very lucky to have a cookbook that envelops all that knowledge that you're able to glean from from you know everyone from your family members to these experts and and um every place in between um it's it's really special um I also um, want to mention that, like the photography here, it takes—it's just so beautiful, and it really 
gives you that virtual vacation. And you mentioned that um, you grew up in Sydney and, you know, growing up your your grandmother, Popo, would basically kind of bring a taste of Indonesia to you um, because you didn't really travel there um, when you were a kid, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. So mm. what was it like the first time you went to Indonesia? Oh, it was it was incredible because I was about 21 years old and um, we went to both Bali and Timor and uh, um, quite amazingly, my grandmother's uh, house where my dad grew up is still standing in the old town of Timor. And um, if I can kind of compare Bali to Timor, Bali is very much built for tourists and it is wonderful. People go on honeymoons there, but you know, mm -hmm. if you want a flat white or if you mm -hmm. want, you know, to go to yoga or you want to, you know, have a kind of, um, you know, a postcard vacation, Bali is fantastic for that. Okay. Uh, and it has a traditional <laughs> scene as well. But, um, but when you go to a place mm. like Timor, that for me feels more like, you know, the, the real local Indonesia, because, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's so, um, what I, what I love about it is, you know, the, the, the road, the roads are dusty. The, the street food is just filled with all of the locals. Um, you know, you hear the call to prayer in the morning. My grandmother's house didn't have a flushing toilet. You know, it's very, very much what you, you know, real Indonesian life. This is the Indonesian life that, you know, there's two, I think 280 million Indonesians that live in Indonesia. And, and this is the life that most Indonesians lead. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, when I first went to Timor, uh, the, the thing that kind of struck me first was the incredible sunsets because the sun is so huge as it sets over this, the Savu Sea in Timor. But um, I, 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 went, I visited my grandmother's house for the first time. And, and when I stepped through the door, uh, it was, uh, I guess it, it, it was, it was shocking to feel how similar we were because her house was a, I call it a rainbow house because, um, every single room was colored a different bright color. So she had a kitchen that was like a gorgeous kind of really like a, a sky blue, uh, azure blue, I guess you would call it. And, you know, the stairwell was blue. The sink was blue. This hose pipe was blue. The tiles That's so were blue. cool. There's Everything a photo of it in the book. Yes. Yeah. And my grandmother's bedroom is lime green with like a bright pink, like chicken statue, a Jesus statue, a cat statue. I mean, it's like, it's just so <laughs> epic. And, uh, you know, the, the walls were crumbling, but a bright purple and mm. every room was a different color. And then we found her recipe books. We found her um, old photo albums of my dad when he was a baby that I'd never seen before. And so I guess for me, it was, you know, this feeling of going into the past and entering a world that I'd only ever heard about through stories from my aunties or my grandmother or my father. And it also felt completely familiar, like, you know, walking... Uh, on the beach uh, in Kupang, which is where my dad grew up. That's the city of, of our West Timor where he grew up. You know, it just felt like, I felt like I had come home and that's the only way I can describe it. it you know, I, I, and I, and I consider, you know, I do consider Australia is my home, but I, I so so much about Indonesia that feels like it's part of my, you know, my heart and soul is from there. You know, it, it just, mm -hmm. it felt so, and I, and I really understood, I think I'd spent my entire life, you know, trying to understand who I was in the sense of, you know, I'm half Australian, I'm half, you know, Chinese Indonesian. And, and I, and I finally understood that half of my identity, I felt like everything suddenly made sense. And, you know, the, the way my dad is, my dad has that kind, generous, warming hospitality. He's so selfless with others. And 
seeing how Indonesians treat others. Mm. It just my dad made sense oh, to me. Clicked, yeah. And I think the other thing for me, which was really special, was to see, you know, my dad um, is in Australia. You would call him a very shy person. You know, he's got some very close friends who are Indonesian, part of his Indonesian community. But, you know, otherwise he's quite, um, he's very introverted. He's uh, very, very shy when he meets people. And mm-hmm. seeing him on his home turf, on his terms, in his territory, my dad became this extrovert speaking the, like the language he, you know, he was born learning and, and, you know, seeing old friends and old family Mm -hmm. members. And it was a different side of my family and of of my dad I'd never seen before. So for me, that was the most special moment of all, really seeing my dad shine and, you know, be his complete and true self. And that, you know, that's something that is just, yeah, it was really beautiful to watch. That's so special to share. Um, when did you know that you wanted to do a cookbook to sort of pay tribute to this heritage of yours? Mm-hmm. I think I think when I moved to London nine years ago, I really felt the absence of Indonesian food because it's so accessible in Australia. It's I mean, it's oh, a, a six-hour flight mm-hmm. okay. to get there. And then there's Indonesian restaurants. You know, they're plentiful. I think there's 40 or 50 in Sydney alone. Uh, there's a lot in mm-hmm. Melbourne and so on. So there's a, quite a lot of Indonesian, you know, there's a big Indonesian community, Indonesian supermarkets. So coming to London, there's two Indonesian restaurants. There's, I, I didn't know any of the community. I couldn't, you know, find, I didn't know where to find the ingredients I wanted to buy. And mm-hmm. so I think it was kind of this slow burn from when I moved to London to roughly about, I think it was uh, 2017 that I, I entered that cookbook writing competition. But the idea was kind of simmering mm. for a, a little while before that. And I was really really wanting to connect with, um, I guess, you know, I, I learned Indonesian as a language when I was little and then we stopped speaking it when I was, uh, after my grandmother moved back to, uh, to Indonesia, we stopped speaking it. Um, and my parents made a decision to do that, uh, you know, for, I guess, reasons where they wanted, they, I think they wanted us in their mind to fit in. And that, I know yeah. it's really sad speaking it in that way and so for me you know I started learning Indonesian again and you know it all started to come back and there were kind of these kind of baby steps kind of getting to this point and then mm-hmm. when I committed to to doing it I just I deep dived headfirst all in and it was you know the the most wonderful the greatest process to write the book and to research and to realize you know I, I uh you don't know how much you don't know until you start researching yeah. something like this and I you know I'm I, I'm I'm in awe of Indonesian cuisine and I feel like the cookbook has only scratched the surface for me like there's so mm. much more to learn about Indonesian cookery and I just I'm fascinated by it so I mean even now post cookbook, I'm constantly pitching article ideas to different magazines to write about different Indonesian foods or food produce nice. or, you know, you know, kind of trying to, for me, I find it really interesting to learn as well. So, and I want to promote it and continue to promote it. So, but yeah, I think it was kind of been, I guess, three, three, three years in the making, you know, properly really right. focused on it. Mm. Do you think, um, like, were you surprised by the, um, the showering of, of, uh, you know, support it has gotten, um, since it came out. And I know it's flying off the shelves. Like I could barely get a copy of it myself. Honestly, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, like I got like, so COVID came out in, was it March? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early March. And I just said to my husband, Oh no, 
oh no, yeah. it's going to get buried. And, uh-huh. you know, cause you pour your whole heart and soul and all your love into a project like this. And I thought, oh no, it's going to get buried. But I was like, oh, you know, at least, you know, I'm proud of it. It's okay. You know, but like mm-hmm. a little bit kind of heartbroken and not really knowing <laughs> what, what that meant for a cookbook. But, you know, I mean, people have, uh, and I think this goes for so many cookbooks that have been released, you know, at the moment, um, like In BB's Kitchen is another wonderful one that people have really embraced. And I, I, I think I think people, um, it's really resonated with a lot of people because I think I'm not isolated in this journey of, you know, being a child of an immigrant, being feeling disconnected from, you know, part of my heritage or my identity and wanting to discover that and relearn it and and come to terms with who, you know, f- food is very much, you know, who for many of us, it's it's who we are as people. It can define our, define us, and for me, that's a, a big part of how I connected to my heritage. So I, I think a lot of people have kind of really like it's kind of captured their imaginations in terms of you know how they might feel as you know people that might live far from home or mm-hmm. their parents have immigrated. So yeah, I, I mean, I've been completely shocked at you know how people have received it. But I mean, every time something happens, I, I kind of pinch myself because I'm still slightly yeah. in belief about it all but you know it's just been it makes me so happy to see you know when people tag me on social media and they've cooked my food and and it's and it's given them Mm. you know it's it's given them a little bit of hope in what has been a really terrible year for a lot of us Uh, you know it it really does give me so much joy and happiness to see that and um yeah I'm I'm just I'm really grateful that people have embraced it as much as they have Mm. Fantastic. Well, it's about all the time we have today, but I'm sure we could go on forever. We didn't even, even scratch the surface of all the dishes in here, which happens to include some of Barack Obama's favorite foods, like this meatball soup. Um, yes, we didn't even get to. Oh, bakso. It's called bakso. And yes, it's delicious. Yes, it's so, so good. good. Oh my goodness. Yes, that is such a good soup. <laughs> but Laura, thank you so much for sharing your journey and making this cookbook. Thank you so much for for taking this on. It's a it's a really great cookbook to have and a great piece of um, culture to to share. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for all your hard work on it. And I can't wait to cook out of it really, really soon. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. It's been really fun. And I love, by the way, like um, your books, The the Food of Taiwan oh, and Chicken Chicken. I mean, honestly, I think you need to have a show where you interview yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I yeah. am right now because we have an uncanny amount of things in common. We do. Laura, it's, do. it's kind of... Yeah, kind of cool. <laughs> yes, I love. I do. I know. I know. But yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. But yes, and thank you so much for taking the time. And ha- hope you're having a, a great evening across the pond, where it's nighttime now. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's bedtime for my son, but um, my my husband's got it, so he's got it in the bag. So that's good. I get Perfect. the night off. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, congrats on the book. I hope everyone gets their hands on coconut and sambal from Bloomsbury. Um, thank you to Jeet Suresh Paul, our engineer today. And I guess that's the last time we'll hear from you in 2020. So hope you have a great end of year. And thanks, everyone. See you next year. Each Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.